from lovely Las Vegas, Kevin Sweeney, Brad Cavalera. We're back to podcasting. Brad, Brad was not in Las Vegas. I was. It was a lovely time. Um, watched the Mount Invitational. Watched Zag UCLA. Did not watch Gonzaga Duke, which was like the game, the season-changing game. So that was a good game. Shucks to me. That was a great, great basketball game. But saw a lot of great basketball in Vegas. Hope everyone had a fantastic Thanksgiving. I spent mine alone on my couch after sleeping till two in the afternoon, jet lagged from a red eye home from the Sin City. It was great, lovely time. Sounds What's up? A, that sounds perfect. It was great. I watched. I watched all the games, hanging out. No, uh, no family yelling at me to help help cook or like have conversation with people. Nobody forced me to watch football instead of basketball. Was, I, I loved it. I, I had a I had a blast, and and Vegas is great. Got to hang out with the some longtime friends of the podcast, Brad. Longtime friends of the podcast, Jim Root, Drew Weave, um, and then of course Eli Betker. He check. Great people. You know, it it truly felt like we had known each other all our lives, which I guess we kind of had, given we've been like in, internet friends for like five years. But uh, shout out to those guys, man. It was it was a blast to kind of hang out. It was very surreal to just kind of like walk onto the court at the Maui Invitational and have like our names on press row, like knowing where, where we've all came from. That was very, very surreal. A lot of fun. Uh, watched a lot of basketball games and uh, then came home. Watch some games, bet on bet on some ball games over at uh, BavadaSportsbook.com, and uh, and now we're back. Brad, do we need to we need to get into the the biggest game of the week, right? Which was, of course, what was it? UC Davis versus the the Academy of the Arts or whatever it's called. Academy the, the Academy of Art University, which I wonder what uh you know I'm I'm sure Bovada didn't actually have a line for this game, but I'm sure it wasn't Academy of the Arts University minus 18. And, you know, Division II school, I looked at the roster. I think they had Christian Puapola, who I think used to – or Puapola used to play for Utah, I think. Um, that's a name but, that I recognize. Yeah, but that's that's Ooh, a crazy man. outcome. I mean, 18-point yeah. beat down by a D2 team. They're not a D2 powerhouse of the same. Uh, right. Just, just a quick Google search, they're, you know – First, uh, Rostein kind of led us on to this. There's like this random for-profit art university. When I Googled them to check out how they did last year and whatnot, so they have a 38% graduation rate. People are just like popping in, taking some art classes and bailing, I guess. But yeah, they went 3-10 and 10 last year against a Division II schedule, and now they're like 500 with this huge win over us, what we thought would be a solid D1 team, a team that beat the, Utah State. The UC, the UC Davis over Utah State final from opening night makes less and less sense every day. But the funny thing is, again, UC Davis did the right thing of scheduling a seemingly really bad team, right? Like, uh, UTSA scheduled Texas A&M Commerce, which is a really good D2 program from the Lone Star that's moving up to Division One to play in the WAC. And they lost that game. It was like, what are you doing? Like, Carver College is out there. Our Lady of the Lake and uh, Champion Christian and all these, you know, garbage, you know, weird colleges that barely exist. You know, that's who you schedule. It seems like Art U would be on that list, but you still, uh, they still lost. So, speaking of uh, Texas A&M Commerce, South Alabama is playing them. So, love, love my friend Richie Riley. Love, love the whole staff there. Uh, good friends with 
they got to see them in Vegas, actually. Uh, Richie, my friend, what, what are we doing scheduling AM Commerce? Because they're losing in the second half. So. It's a good test. Don't, don't know what we're doing. Huh? From, from a practical perspective, though, like from a net perspective or NCAA tournament consideration perspective, the game doesn't count, though, right? No, but you don't want the like you don't want the optics of losing to a non D one, right? Like if Richie Riley wants right. to get another job this offseason, losing to Texas and Commerce is probably not ideal. Not that I'm saying he's searching for jobs. I'm just saying generally, like if you want to rise to the profession, the optics are not very good. And no one's gonna remember that in like you know, two days. But we will always remember the the, the Academy of the Arts because that name is just so wacky. But, yes, and and you're correct. Uh, Bovada was not offering lines for for the Academy of the Art, unfortunately. Uh, they were offering lines for a lot of games, though. Uh, I had a horrible weekend gambling, and just 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 dreadful. I mean, it was it was a bludgeoning in every respect. I was on the wrong side. I, I was on the the right side of a lot of things, like eyes wise, and they didn't go my way. And then all of a sudden, things that just made no sense started happening. Like. Eastern Kentucky was like a five and a half point favorite against Radford. I was like, that's easy. Radford's not very good. Eastern Kentucky's very good. Just after I'd made money on Eastern Kentucky, the last two games they played, and Eastern Kentucky then got blown out by Radford. I was like, all right, cool, man. It's time my time. But uh, let's stop talking about Kevin's uh, terrible gambling. And let's talk about, Brad, the uh, the big game of the week. It was Gonzaga Duke. Friday night in Las Vegas in front of a record crowd to see a basketball game in the state of Nevada, which is kind of cool. Um, and Brad, I mean, look, I think both of these teams are fantastic. I don't think this game changed my mind about Gonzaga in any way. I still think they're elite. But, man, is Duke good. I mean, you know, we've been singing the praises of of this front court all offseason with Mark Williams and Theo John and obviously Mr. Dan Carroll, um, I, I remember when uh, you tweeted maybe opening night, right, that Theo John might be the best backup center in the whole country, and then you decided to walk it back because of the Purdue bigs. But these these Duke bigs can really guard. And for me personally, that's 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 more appealing than a big who, who can score. You know, Give me the athletic, sturdy, defensive, rim-protecting anchors. Uh, and, and Duke certainly has that. And when you have a guy in Bancaro who is as big and is as skilled as he is, he was knocking down three-pointers. He, he was doing it all. Um, so that's an awesome, massive front court. And then Trevor Keels, who, you know, watching the game, I thought he was playing pretty well. You, you look at the box score, he was like one for seven or something. But he has he has great feel. He was, he was making stuff happen on, on the ball. I thought, thought he had played well to, Despite the box score, yeah, if, 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 if it's pretty easy indicator that you didn't watch the game. If if I hear you come on a show and I've heard people say this, like, yeah, Duke won despite Trevor Trevor Keels playing badly. No, no, Trevor Trevor Keels did not play badly. Like, it was obvious he made an impact. I also had on the Theo John point, Brad. Theo John is like really embracing the like, like late '80s, early '90s enforcer style backup center role like he he is all in all in on like being the tough guy and then he had two random jump hooks over each shoulder in the second half when duke really needed it when he was making their push he was awesome mark williams was awesome on timmy 
completely took Timmy out of the game. I mean, what what an outstanding job he did to make every shot difficult for Timmy, get him in foul trouble. Mark Williams was, you know, to me the MVP of that game for Duke. Absolutely. And then, you know, on on the Zag side, I thought Strother looked the part. Big athletic hitting shots. Neymar didn't didn't have a great game, but I I mean you're 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 still in a great spot there, and you know people are gonna harp harp on the depth, you know like like they've been doing with with Villanova and and a few other teams, but you know these these teams have have talented guys, and you know a team like Gonzaga who's gonna be playing in, in the WCC, you know they're gonna have conference games, but they can work in Hunter Salas and Nolan Hickman in more than they. Feel comfortable, you know, playing Duke in this national showcase. So I'm not worried about the Zags' depth at all. You know, Hickman had a nice move in there. Salas was pl- was in in the game down the stretch. Um, but you know, guys like that and like a, a Caden Perry who got a little run and looks way out of place. I think as, as the season progresses, it's going to be an advantage for, for for the Zags to be able to, you know, throw those guys out there for 15 minutes against Loyola Marymount. Uh, but you know. The ACC might might have some similarly bad teams in the middle bottom. At this I, rate, I was going to say, yeah. I mean, <laughs> are, are we sure that you're not going to really get some some minutes for 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 you know Jalen Blake against uh, AJ Griffin? Yeah, those guys aren't going to really get in against Pitt. Oh, they'll get in against Pitt and Boston College and Miami and oh, Miami is awful. But yes. No, I mean, I thought, look, I think Duke is individually has the best matchup against Gonzaga of any team in the country because their bigs are mobile enough where the ability of Timmy to kind of play on the perimeter and get downhill, right? Like if you, if you look back at a lot of the film, Timmy's obviously great on the blo- on the block, but one of the things he does really well is kind of catch at the top of the key and instead of attacking instead of like dribbling into a DHO or like a throw and chase ball screen, he'll just like catch with a head of steam and go all the way to the rim and use his kind of quickness to bounce off of a defender and score the bucket and draw the foul. And it didn't, it didn't feel like he had a ton of success doing that against Duke. He had it a couple times early in the game, but Williams was just so imposing that it was just challenging for him to get anything going. And the foul trouble obviously started to bound as well. So they have the matchup with, with Timmy to slow him down. Gonzaga also doesn't really have someone to guard Paolo, right? Like you think about it, they put Anton Watson on him. That was probably the most successful look, but it's hard to grade how successful that was because of Anton's defense and how much of it was because Paolo had cramped up in the, at the end of the first half, early second half, and didn't really have the opportunity to, be himself at the second, right? I think I think Watson is their best shot at guarding Paolo, but there's no one on that team that can like sniff trying to stop that dude when he's when he's cooking. And then they have the multiple ball handles and the athletes on the perimeter to really make things challenging for a team like Gonzaga, who like when you against UCLA, I think the thing that really popped to me was the fact that UCLA did nothing to make Gonzaga ever uncomfortable, and they could just run their stuff and cut and cut and cut and cut to death, right? And one of the things that Baylor did in the national championship game, obviously it's a different Gonzaga team, but one of the things that Baylor did in the national championship game was, like, they pressured the ball so much with Davion Mitchell and Jared Butler and Adam Flagler and, and those guys that 
it became really challenging for Gonzaga just to get into their offense. And when they finally did kind of get that four on three that you want, they were able to attack it easily and get a bucket against Baylor. And the same thing happened against Duke. But, you know, Duke was able to slow down Gonzaga because of the fact that, you know, their their ball pressure and their length and their physicality on the perimeter all really, I think, bothered the ball handlers. So I think all the matchups were favorable for Duke, and yet Gonzaga still was right there. I think Gonzaga is the best team against the most teams in college basketball. I think they'll certainly be the most consistent team in the sport. You know, but I think Duke matches up better with Gonzaga and certainly is the top end talent uh, to, to be special. And look, I mean, they there's there's a case to be made that they're only going to get better, right? With with Griffin, who is still very much working his way into the mix. He's a guy that a lot of people think will be a first round pick. Um, with Ben Caro still working out these cramping issues that have happened in all their big games. With Keels in his like seventh game as a collegiate player with all these guys kind of working their ways in the backcourt. I mean, this Duke team does not feel like they're a finished product yet. And that should be pretty scary to the rest of the sport. Absolutely. And, you know, we, we touched on that, you know, Keels didn't even really play well. Uh, Wendell Moore played, played really well. We didn't touch on him yet, but basically all, all I have for Duke uh, in the Zags, I'm not, you know, I don't have a firm grasp yet on whether I think if they play again, if the outcome would be the same or if Duke should be number one. You know, I'm not quite on the Purdue, you know, Purdue elite team train yet. Uh, I'm not giving up on on Villanova. I'm not giving up on UCLA. I didn't I didn't really watch the Gonzaga UCLA game. I watched like the first maybe like 12 minutes and then, you know, the, the, the lead was 20. So then I watched distractedly. Until halftime, they didn't cut into the lead, so I just gave up on that one. But you know, that's that's a case of fryer flu, right? When 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 you have the flu, but everybody plays and you get destroyed. Mick Cronin played down the flu angle. He said they were fine. So they had some sniffles. Ha- happens to Providence once a year. There was one game. This was maybe 2018, where they played DePaul and lost by like 30 points. And he's like, what's going on? And then after the game, he's like, oh, everybody had the flu. He's like, well, <laughs> how about we say before the game? <laughs> Here's someone, someone on the message board uh, coined the name Friar Flu, and I and I love it. And now that you know every team's being hit with the flu. Well, the flu is so disruptive. Kind of crazy. It's very disruptive. Guys are missing games, too. Oh, yeah. Well, UNC Wilmington had the drop out of its tournament. They're playing in Missoula, and their whole team got the flu. And they said, "We're not playing anymore. We don't have enough guys." Unbelievable. Wasn't what Ken thought. Palm tweeting about how excited he was for that tournament? I'm sure he was. Wouldn't surprise me. Here's here's, a, here's an interesting uh, nugget. Just kind of close the book on Zaga and Duke. Uh, over at Bovada, they have obviously national championship futures that get updated throughout the season. So right now. Gonzaga still the favorite, plus 350, so three and a half to one. Duke now the number two at seven to one. And Purdue at number three with at 11 to one. So Duke and Gonzaga definitely kind of pulling away from the field, which I suppose not surprising. You know, we're not done with these huge marquee matchups because we got Villanova Baylor coming up pretty soon. Mm-hmm. We're, you know, we have a, Gonzaga, Alabama, which Alabama, you know, we don't really know quite how 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 good they are yet. But you know, we got this ACC Big Ten challenge. I'm I'm really excited for a game that I'm not not even gonna be able to watch. But 
the Michigan UNC kind of redemption game. Uh, you know, both both teams people have given up on. We'll see who uh, prevails there. And then, you know, right after the ACC Big Ten challenge, we get Big East Big Twelve challenge. So 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 there are a ton of interesting games coming up. Texas Seton Hall. Hopefully, Miles Caleb will be back for that one. I mean, if uh, you didn't really uh, realize the importance of Miles Kale, I mean. He, he goes out early in that Ohio State game. They obviously lose that on a Michi Johnson buzzer beater. Then they struggle with Cal, and they have a rough time with Bethune-Cookman. You know, they really need Cal with his disruptive athleticism, the size on the wing. He can play multiple positions, and he can hit shots. Yeah, they, they, absolutely, they absolutely miss him, uh, especially because they don't have another kind of true wing. Right, Roden's like a combo forward. He's become much more of a wing than he was. Right, with that kill out, it's got to be more Jameer Harris or they've used more Jahari Long. Um, and, you know, that's just not going to happen. I mean, Harris is a very good scorer, but very, very different, almost the exact opposite player in Miles Gale. And then Long, come on. What are we doing here? Yeah. So that's Gonzaga and Duke. Gonzaga, UCLA, I don't really have much more. Can we joke for the flu? I mean, Gonzaga was just so clearly better. Nempard was awesome. Nempard kind of made his case for the best, being the best point guard in the country, a take I'm very much on board with. Um, UCLA really, really, really misses Cody Riley. They really miss Cody Riley because Miles Johnson looks worse than he did at Rutgers offensively. And I, think I was going to say, if uh, if uh, UCLA is missing Cody Riley, I mean, is, is Rutgers uh, pining for Miles Johnson? Oh, I, I'm sure both are. But, I mean, my, Rutgers is pining for anybody. Uh, but What's, why why are they so bad? Because you know I I was like the highest on Rutgers that I saw I, I think, but no one had them this bad. So so what's going on here? Do you, it, it, it seemed via your your Twitter that you watched some of the Rutgers UMass debacle. I did not. I just looked oh. at the score. I didn't. Okay. I, I watched them against DePaul. I mean they're not they're just not a good basketball team. Like Ron Harper is not. After his like seven game shooting explosion at the beginning of last year, has not proven to be good enough to be the best player on a good team. And Geo Baker, love what he's done off the court. Think he's a fantastic ambassador for 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 college basketball, for college sports as a whole. Think he's a tremendous character, tremendous person. He's not very good, right? I mean, again, Geo Baker is Geo Baker without. Without hashtags is like a mid-tier starter at best in the Big Ten. Might be below average starter in the Big Ten. He's a 40% shooter. I mean, what does he do? And then Andre Hyatt hasn't been as good as I thought he'd be. I thought he'd be in the 11, 12 point per game range. And they only have role players. They only have role players. I mean, Andre the, Hyatt uh, is shooting 15% from three. Oh, my K- God. Kayla McConnell is shooting 0% from three. Hi- Hyatt's supposed to be a shooter, though. When Providence was, was, was recruiting him out of high school, he was supposed to be a shooter. Right, yeah. So he was supposed to be three and D, and now he's like a combo forward. Yeah. I mean, their bench is awful. I mean, their bench is dreadful. Right? I mean, look, the, here, here, again, they don't have top-end guys where their role players can look like good role players. Other than Mulcahy, he's probably the best player in my mind, actually. Um, but Hyatt isn't shooting the ball. Caleb McConnell has gotten even worse offensively. He's just there for his defense, which is fine. But 
you eventually these guys could score. And again, their bench is Jaden Jones, who's a good recruit and seems okay. Ralph Ag, who's awful. Mawat Mag, who's not very good. Oscar Palmquist and Dean Reber, who should be on CAA benches. I mean, look, I love Steve Peichel. I love, you know, kind of the hard not stars thing. Sometimes you got to recruit some stars. Sometimes you got to go in the portal. And they didn't go in the portal enough. They took a bench player from LSU and a, He's a starter at LSU. Hmm. He, he started 15 points. games last year. He averaged, he averaged four points a game at LSU. Missed miss me with the Andre Hyatt impact mission thing. And uh, and then Ralph Agee, who is a barely starter on a really dreadful uh, SJSU team. They, they should have recruited some like act, actually high-level players. And that might have that might have helped them a little bit. But no, they're really bad. Um, but I want to circle back to UCLA. Um, Miles Johnson looks worse offensively. Than he has than he did at Rutgers, I think because there's more spacing, so he's in more of like a pick and roll offense. And like whenever he catches the ball, he's just really uncomfortable having to make a move to the basket that is to like turn turn and score. Um, and so that really hurts their offensive flow. And then Kenneth and Wubo was dreadful. I mean, he looked so overmatched. Again, a lot of people are going to look overmatched against Drew Timmy and Anton Watson, but he he could not play in that game. You know, he he could not play in that game, and that that really set the tone. They they were just couldn't get stops, and you know Mick was not not pleased. That wasn't pleased with the transition defense. Wasn't pleased with uh, their their shot shot selection with with Juzang and um, Hawkes. It just didn't feel like they shared it very well. Um, like it was it was not pretty uh, in in a lot of ways for UCLA, but I think they'll be okay. Um, and they're their odds now are 18 to one to win the national title on, on Bovada. So take that for kind of what you will um, kind of puts them in like the eighth to 10th tier nationally between like they're between like Villanova and Kentucky in terms of where they stand right now. So take that for what you will, which MC would you like to go to next Brad? Well, well, I mean, you were at the Maui Invitational. I was. And, you know, we were just talking about Rutgers, and I, I, I felt inclined to look up Jacob Young's stats. You know, maybe they could use Jacob Young back, who's now on Oregon. Oh. Young's at 10, 10 points a game on twenty eight percent from three, so he would have helped, but wouldn't have solved everything that you know down down there for Rutgers. But Oregon is a team right now where we got a lot of people are. Proudly displaying that their their Oregon win as as their badge of honor, right? You got BYU, Houston, and and uh, Saint Saint Mary's are all you know really excited about beating Oregon. Um, we'll see if that means anything in a couple months. But I gotta say, I, I was surprised that Oregon played so poorly. I, I was stunned that Wisconsin you know won the whole thing. Johnny Davis looks incredible. Uh, what were your Kind of thoughts and observations being down in the Maui of the mainland. Yeah, I, I can honestly go team by team. I guess let's just do it that way. Uh, and let's uh, start with Butler. Oh well, my God, I can't decide who was more of a train wreck last week at Maui, Butler or Oregon. I want to say when Oregon, people were trying to tell us that Chuck Harris was a top 100 player in the sport. I want to say Oregon was um, was more disappointing because. 
Butler, we kind of knew they didn't have a lot of talent. And they were so banged up, too. Again, I I almost felt bad for Laval Jordan because, like, he's looking at his bench and he's like, who can I put in? It's like, well, we've got John Michael Malloy. We've got Simas uh, Lukosius, who can't dribble. Do either of these guys in, in, in intrigue you? And he's like, I guess. And he puts him in and then they stink and he subs him out and puts in, like, uh, puts in, like, the kid uh, DJ Hughes up front and like that doesn't work and he just keeps cycling bodies and none of them none of them work. I mean, they they have a talent problem, right? But Butler has a talent problem right now, um, and it's exacerbated by the fact that Bryce Enzi was out for the week, um, Miles Tate was out for the week. Um, I'm blanking here on the other name. Bo Hodges. Bo Hodges, Bo Hodges. out for the whole week. And then one other guy missed like the last game. It was like Harris, Chuck Harris. Yes, Chuck will be back. But um, yeah, I mean, look, they they don't have very much talent, right? And I think Jim Root actually put it well in his he put it, he put together like a column about like ranking all the teams he saw in Vegas, and Butler was last. And he said, look, a good way of summing up their talent is that back to back years they've brought in a non top one fifty freshman, and that freshman has looked like the best player on the team. And it's great that, like, you brought in a Jaden Taylor who seems to be an overachiever, who seems to be able to score the basketball, who seems to have, you know, a nose a nose for the rim. But the fact that he looks like he could be your best player says a lot about who else is on the roster, right? And, you know, they've got some more to do. Again, I, I, I think they will improve. I, I, I don't think they're this bad. But, you know, they've got Oklahoma coming up this week on the road. I don't see how you're winning that game. Or next week, excuse me. They have I mean, Oklahoma's not win. that good. That's, I mean, that's a chance if you can get some guys back. I know Hodges and Tate were only supposed to miss the first month. Right. I mean, they're they're turning the ball over like it's their job. Their front court is really weak. Bryce Golden looks worse than we even probably predicted. I mean, he he went three games without a field goal at one point. I mean, that's that's some scary stuff. So. You know, they, they want to put up threes, but they just don't look very athletic. They don't look very talented. They got some problems. They look like a bottom three Big East team right now. They don't look all that competitive. And maybe that changes, but right now, they don't look very good. Um, you know, in the uh, preseason, uh, Ed Ed Cooley said he thought Butler would finish second in the Big East. I know. One of that was just like love a... love the experienced teams. They love the experienced teams. <laughs> Nothing, nothing a coach loves more than showing love to the team that has like all of its players back, even if the players are bad. Or maybe he was just so excited to uh, to play them. He, 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 you know, he just had Butler on the brain. But yeah, I, I mean, I, I think I'm finally vindicated on this Aaron Thompson nonsense. I think I'm finally vindicated on this Chuck Harris nonsense. I mean, it, you know. Tate, Tate has a lot of potentials to score. We'll, we'll see when uh, he gets back. But the fact that they had so many turnovers playing, you know, three guards the whole time. And I know supposedly uh, Lacocious is supposed to be very intriguing prospect. Like, he, like he's he supposed to be very good. He can't good. dribble. Like, well, he literally can't dribble. In the future, he'll probably, probably be playing with two point guards. So maybe they can yes. make that work. But. No, eventually, yeah. I think he has talent. He, like, sees the floor well, but he, like, can't handle the ball against pressure at all. Like, it was but, really. Yeah, we were joking about this in the summer. Like, why didn't Butler recruit better? You know, they went to national championship games, like, 10 years ago. You, you know, 
they they went to a Sweet 16 recently. They've had good teams recently. You know, why why are they getting these like random three star recruits? Um, and you know on uh, on the transfer market, you know, Enzi's been okay, but I even that was like that wasn't like a steal, you know. That was like right. He just followed his coach. There. Yeah. Golden is always stuck. I mean, they're they're 100 years old. I had them nit in the preseason, but as, as as you said, that's that's looking aggressive. But we'll see when they get their guys back. Yeah, when they get their guys back, I think they'll be better. I think they'll look like an nit team once all their guys are back, and maybe they'll be feisty on their home court. But I think we should have read a little bit more into the fact that they were like 140th in Ken Palm last year. That number does not look like it was a a massive miss. I'll say that. But that's 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 because they didn't get any buy games to blow teams out. But now they're shorthanded during their buy games, so they won't blow teams out either. So fair enough. What are you gonna do if you bother? Yeah. The other the other mess team of the of the week was was Oregon. Uh, Oregon played three straight games now where they didn't against Division One competition that they didn't score over fifty points. Like they they were a mess on both ends. They, first off, they just didn't flat out didn't show up against Houston. Like they they literally did not get off the bus for that game. I mean, Houston walked in, went out to like a twenty point lead as quickly as possible, and then Oregon put up zero resistance in the second half. No fight back, no charge. I mean, there there was nothing there. Their backcourt has no chemistry. Like the Harmon, Young, Richardson, Williams quartet just does not like does not know like who should have the ball who's taking the shot you know at they're all lefties like, though huh they're all they lefties, lefties though that's, yeah. that's a that's that's pretty cool it, it is cool but it doesn't help because none of them are any good um kind of similar to the uh, texas backcourt too to, dur- during their uh, zags game yes yes uh gary a had absolutely zero energy i mean i was stunned i love gary a as a player i thought he's gonna be tremendous for them i mean he looked completely checked out um and Folly Dante looked imposing. And the only guy who seemed to care was was Frank Kepnong, who plays with remarkable energy. Sort of frightening energy, actually. Um, like he's like sticking his tongue out and screaming randomly. It was it was a little frightening. Um he he I like him still, but he has no no skill. If you combine then Folly Dante's skill with Kepnong's energy and enthusiasm and length, you would create the perfect big man. Um and then the two two young big men, Johnson and Biddle. Biddle's ahead of or excuse me, Johnson's ahead of Biddle in the depth chart, which I was surprised by. Neither are very good. I think Johnson has a bright has a good future ahead of them. But Biddle's not an impact guy. So I mean this this team's a wreck. And at this point, the only good thing that can be said is that they don't actually have a bad loss yet, based on like metric. You know, like St. Mary's is at worst gonna be a Q two game. So you just gotta hope you can beat montana and uc riverside and then head into pac-12 play get your kind of opening week split and just 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 survive the non-conference without doing anything dumb but they are a bad basketball team right now Flatted a bad basketball team like incomprehensibly so given their talent level so who's next is it texas a&m um let's hit notre dame who's the last team that only beat chaminade and then i'll do a&m uh notre dame I only watched one of their three games, so I'll be quick here. Eh? Like, I, I didn't really come away learning anything I didn't already know. I will Who say is the athleticism. Team, yeah. The, the one guy that does help them there is is Blake Wesley, the freshman. Six foot five. He was playing as a point guard. I mean, he can really handle the ball. He can 
you know, he has a really good looking shot. He, he looks like he should have been like a top 75 recruit, like the way he's like physically built and like that he came ready enough. Like he looks really good. They were doing a lot of these smaller lineups with like Cormac Ryan at the four against St. Mary's and creating some mismatches against Foto. I kind of liked it. Cormac had a good game. Um, but yeah, they, they just lack depth. They're basically playing seven guys. Um, they have, you know, a lack of athleticism. Their defense is still no good. I like Atkinson. They're probably going to improve defensively if only because teams are currently shooting like 46% from, uh, from three against them. And that's just not a number that's sustainable. Um, but the fact that they come away with, from this trip with nothing is a really bad omen. They're playing right now against Illinois and losing despite Illinois not having any of its guards. So we'll see if that changes. But I would not be placing any money on Notre Dame uh, finding their way into the NCAA tournament. I'll put it that way. Uh, and then AM, unless you have a thought on Notre Dame, you can, if you do, Brad. Well, well, just like kind of a segue with, you know, we're saying, okay, they're a defense game at 46% from three. It's probably an aberration. But when when you lack the athletes and, and, and you lack the foot speed, you know, we're, we're kind of seeing that with Syracuse now, too, where they, they have all these shot makers, all these shooters, uh, but their zones is getting diced up because they're all so slow. Yeah. Yeah, they, they got diced up by St. Mary's quite a bit. Um, and then on A&M, A&M's like the opposite. A&M has all the athletes in the world, but they're a complete wreck on offense in terms of the half court. They don't really know what they're doing. It was very obvious, at least to me, that their offense needs to be pick and roll with Marcus Williams. It does not appear to be that obvious to Buzz Williams, uh, and that creates some issues. <laughs> Williams is really good in wall screen. He's, he's really good. I don't love the Quinton Jackson, Andre Gordon group, but they're going to play a lot of minutes. Rat, they, they, they start with Radford at the three, Henry Coleman at the four, and Javante Brown at the five. And Javante Brown is just as bad as we thought he would be. I mean, he is, he is dreadful. They're forcing turnovers. They're playing hard. Um, Manny Obaseki is, like, barely in the rotation. He looks very, very raw. Doesn't look like he has very much any 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 skill at all. Um, they're playing a lot of guys. This Wade Taylor kid can really score the basketball. Um, this is an NIT team to me. I mean, that's that's a little better. we better than where I had them in the preseason. So maybe I'm even being generous, but that that felt like the ceiling. It just did not. I was there. Nothing changed my mind. Certainly. Yeah, because I. I had thought Obaseki was supposed to be like a impact guy who could score. I thought that was the whole idea. He cannot score. That's and cool. you know they have a lot of these kind of small combo guards. So so we'll see how they how they figure it out. But right. I think and overall then, you're you're pleased if you're a Texas A&M fan with with the week. I mean you go two and one. None of neither the wins really like move the needle, but. You know, one at least is probably a Q2, so you don't hate it. Yeah, I, I think you're probably, I think it's probably right, especially now that the Wisconsin loss doesn't look bad by any means. So, yeah. Um, that brings us to, and we're not going to mention Chaminade. So we've got three more teams. That'd be Houston, St. Mary's, and uh, Wisconsin. Houston didn't really do anything to change my mind about them either. Like they're really, really, really hard playing defensively. Marcus Sasser was had an interesting tournament. You know, 
the first game he's playing really well. I thought, you know, against Butler, you know, he, he's balling out and, and, and it looked to me and his numbers weren't great, but he just looked really looked apart. And it felt to me like just watching him play, he looked like a pro, you know, he looked like a NBA scoring guard and yet Edwards contributing and Tajay Moore looked like a giant against these Butler dudes. I mean, Butler looked completely overwhelmed. Like Butler looked like a plucky mid-major against Houston athletically. Like that's just kind of how it looked. And they were dominating. And then they come out against Wisconsin, laying egg in the first half and then really responded well. They just didn't make enough free throws. And Sasser was very quiet in, in the second half of the game when they needed him to go make shots. And Kyler Edwards kind of carried the, carried the burden. Um, I will say, I mean, that's that's the one area where where they are lacking is they they have two guards who can really go get a shot in Sasser and Edwards. Tremont Marks' inability to shoot the three really kind of limits his offensive game. I mean, he's a good player, but but they have base they have like two guys in him and in Jamal Shedd who are both like who are both terrific at getting into the lane, but they're not you know they're not they're not real creators and they're not great shooter and they're not real shooters. So like it just limits the offensive upside a little bit. Moore was great against Butler and kind of struggled in their other two games. He's a, he looks gigantic again. He doesn't look like he's six, five. Uh, and then the front court Carlton was up and down. I like fate Fabian white still. I like Cheney. Juwan Roberts is another guy who looks gigantic. I think this is a top 15 team without a doubt, maybe even top 10. So didn't come away like disliking Houston by any means. And then we have the Gales of uh, St. Mary's. You said that you you thought I would really like uh, Mr. Fotu. Oh, yeah. Uh, true power, power forward. For true power forward. You love the true power, power forward. 6'7", 220. He's, you know. Someone came over to me during the game and asked me to ask Fotu in the press conference if the reason why he wore number 42 was that his last name was Fotu. But I didn't <laughs> do that. But... I would love to know. I mean, he was very efficient. He could get to the rim. He could stretch the floor. He was rebounding the ball. And Wisconsin did a really good job. Tyler Wall did a great job on him in the championship game. I think that was the difference. He was, I would say, arguably the best player in the tournament for the first two rounds. He was awesome. I will say this, too. I really like Marchalonis. You know, we, 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 we knocked on him a little bit during FIBA. And, look, the numbers were by no means, like, impressive. Like, he scored seven total points in the tournament. but he kind of made stuff happen, right? Kuzi is is Kuzi. He's not not a high level player. You know, he's a he's a solid playmaker. Marcellonis, every time he's on the floor, good things seem to happen for for the St. Mary's team. I I, I can't wait impressed. I thought they looked like a bubble team. Matthias Toss is still kind of in the middle. He can he can pass. He can post up. He has a a nice soft touch. And they've got all these role players like Kyle Bowen and. Alex Dukas and you know, Logan Johnson, who brings all this energy and can really get to the rim. I mean, he can't shoot at all, but he can really get to the rim and defend. So I like this group. I think they looked at large. Which, you know, we'll, we'll see how that WCC picture unfolds because San Francisco is still undefeated and they've not, not done nothing. You know, they, they, they've gotten some wins that don't move the needle, but like in a, Wins above bubble world maybe would like Towson and Nevada, um, UAB playing on their other ones. UAB, but uh, a UAB out in Vegas as well. And then Santa Clara's kind of come back to earth it seems. Look, 
Loyola never really got off the ground. So uh, we'll see if they can, you know, keep the three bid pace. Four, four is probably too too aggressive, but you know, BYU they killed Oregon and then they pulled away in the second half against Utah. I I watched the first half of the BYU Utah game and the teams looked evenly matched. I, I, I'm a big Brandon Carlson guy, but I didn't see the second half uh, surge from the Cougars. Kudos to uh, Craig Smith. He's got Utah playing well. And then to close the book on Maui, we have Wisconsin, which was getting blown out early against A&M. And all of a sudden, and I was like, okay, Wisconsin actually might suck. Like, holy crap. And then they turned around, they won the game. They turned around, they blew out Houston in the first half and then hung on for your life. And then they kind of surged in the second half. Obviously, all the talk is Jonathan Davis, and he is big time. I mean, Johnny, Johnny Davis was making shots. He was getting to the rim. He has this great mid-range game when he comes off of ball screens where he can you know, elevate over you because he's a high vertical and a really high release on his jumper. He He's outstanding. I mean, he's going to be one of the premier scorers in the Big Ten and, and be an NBA first-round pick, I think, this year. Um, you mentioned it after the Providence game, Brad. Those guards, the young guards, like Chucky Hepburn in particular, they really get into you defensively. And I thought that that helped Wisconsin a lot. Lauren Bowman gave them a nice spark in the St. Mary's game on offense. He, he came in and gave him a couple buckets. Crowell's Crowley, not great in the ball screen defensively, but he's solid. Obviously, Davison's Davison. The big thing that, that helped them was, you know, Tyler Wall was like a second scorer for them in the Houston and St. Mary's games. He had nine against Houston, most of it in the second half. He had 18 against St. Mary's, most of that in the second half. He had four blocks as well against St. Mary's. I mean, he was he he was like scoring in the post, crafty moves, faders. I mean, it was unbelievable to watch. And I don't know how transferable that is, but what I do know is this is a team that's very connected. They got a superstar in Davis. They've got good role players, and they've got a coach who I think can work with a group like this. So they've got a they've got a tough schedule coming up after Maui. They they play Georgia Tech this week in the ACC Big Ten. I guess that's not the hugest test in the world, but they have DeVoe. They play Marquette in a rivalry game, then Indiana and Ohio State start the Big Ten season, two bye games, then into the Big Ten play. So and even those bye games are Nickel State and Morgan State, who are you know favorites in their respective leagues. So the road is not easy for Wisconsin, but and I but they come away with it with a huge resume win against Houston and uh, certainly a lot of confidence. I think that that team grew up while they were in, in, in Vegas, and that's that's huge. Yeah, I was able to watch some of the Houston-Wisconsin game. I was able to watch a ton of Maui, but did watch a ton of Battle for Atlantis, and that's where we're going next. Did, did you did you see me in the background? No, I, I my my eyes are slipping a little bit. I can barely see the score from the couch. Unreal. Unreal. So off, for Atlantis? off to Atlantis. Yes. You know, really interesting opening game. I, I actually took took the day off Wednesday, so I was, I was able to watch some afternoon basketball. Um, Michigan State Loyola. I mean, what what a swing, right? I, I mean, there there were some serious swings back and forth in this game. I I really liked. Uh, a hair Uguak. A hair Uguak. Uguak. I I mean his athleticism really pops and he and you know he made some some 
some really serious plays in this do, game. Do you remember? Do you remember him as a transfer from New Mexico? Of course I do. <laughs> same same with uh, uh, Damian Jefferson was the a year before oh, yeah. kind of combo forward transfers off to Creighton has a nice career at Creighton. Um, uh, here was redshirting on the team that went to the Final Four at Loyola. Williamson played played really well. Norris hit some huge threes down the stretch. He is clutch. And you know, it, it, it felt like Loyola had a million guys. And then they, on they played like ten in that game, right? Ten or eleven. They can do that, yeah. Uh, Chris, Chris Knight wasn't what I expected. He was a little more of like a at least in this game, he he looked kind of athletically challenged. I thought he 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 was a little more skilled than he showed too. But uh, as they, as the backup they, center, he's fine. Do you remember Andre Jackson at Loyola? Of course I do. He averaged like 80% from the field. He, he's he been doing some Andre Jackson type things for them where he's a little undersized. He can play the four or the five. He's very active at the rim and not very, not very like, not like super skilled shooting the ball, but he makes free throws. That like three headed monster they have at center with Jacob Hudson, Chris Knight and Welch is going to be awesome in the Valley. And Hudson had an amazing game against Arizona state at 26 points. He is big and strong enough to like bang with, Big Ten teams and you know high major teams that he did against Michigan State. He just hangs in. He, he makes free throws. He's got great touch. He's a solid rebounder. He's not a great rebounder. Hudson is, but Welch can stretch it a little bit. And then Knight is like the more athletic, more athletic of the three. That was their big concern, kind of coming in. Was they just felt like they're could they could they could they could they lock in the post? Could they protect the rim? And so far they've they've been pleased with how Hudson has played. I thought Loyola kind of looked like really at the part, right? Like that was a successful trip to Atlanta. It's by only getting one win out of the three games. They get one, which means they get a, something for their resume. And they proved against Michigan State and Auburn that they're kind of right on that level, right? Like they, there there was not a lot separating them in Auburn, not a lot separating them in Michigan State. The only separating well, in Auburn was Jabari Smith shooting over uh, over the top. I mean, this this field was seeded so absurdly. They oh, had a walkover to the championship game. Baylor and Arizona State, I I wouldn't have done that, but that's defendable. The one that just threw the whole thing off was Syracuse and VCU. Even if VCU had Ace Baldwin and Jameer Watkins, I mean they they should have been, you know, Cuse and VCU should have been six and seven, not four and five. I mean that was absurd. Um, but anyway, Michigan State, Marcus Bingham finally is unbelievably. Putting a little more player into his prospect, uh, he he hit a few jumpers. He's enormous. He, he he's added a lot of strength. The skills there. He's blocking shots. His activity I mean, level has just changed. Like he plays at such a high energy level now when he's on the floor. I I think the one concern for for Michigan State and now, hopefully I'm not combining any of my games because because Christie did not play well against Loyola. I, I don't remember, um, but my main point is with the Walker Hogard mix. That that's not going to be an advantage backcourt, right? You're not going to in in the Big Ten having either Hogard or Walker or both be, being in your backcourt is not going to be an advantage. They they don't seem Walker especially doesn't seem to have the scoring chops that I think we thought coming in. He seems more of just a kind of a Fine starter, uh, but then, I mean, I'm also concerned with Christie in that that realm because Christie, 
Christie doesn't really look for his shot. He didn't shoot it great in the last, but he had two, two, and five in their three games. You know, he just didn't it, – his usage was relatively low. He had six shots in two of the three games and then nine in the other against UConn. You know, like, I just wanted to see more from him, especially because he's not a guy that's going to be a huge impact defender. He's not a guy that's going to create off the bounce. Like, like if he's going to be in there, it needs to be because he's a big-time offensive player, and we haven't really seen that yet. So, yeah, I, I think that's the ceiling limiter. But, you know, Gabe Brown was huge in the one game. Malik yeah, he Hall was great. And then – and then uh, Hall had like 20-something points. Um, I swear Malik Hall, every big game of Malik Hall's career has been a game I've been watching. And then conversely. And then I look up, like, how, does he have, how does Malik Hall average four points a game? Because I see him and he gets 20 every time I watch him. And then on the other side, I mean, the uh, carriage has really turned into a pumpkin for Joey Hauser. Uh, cool. no, no one watched him play at, at Marquette. At least – Everyone who ever commented about him on Twitter uh, or used him as a, as a reason why Michigan State would be so good the past two years uh, never seen Joey Hauser play. Now that they've seen Joey Hauser play, they don't want any more Joey Hauser. Uh, he's not a scorer, right? He, he's unathletic. He can shoot the ball. He can back you down the post a little bit for a turnaround. Um, but like his, his whole thing in Marquette, right, was he plays with small ball five. And be able to go by you. Um, he, he's playing exclusively the four. His jumper's not hitting. They're saying it's a calf issue or whatever. He's just not very good. Um, but in Michigan State, I, I was not able to watch most of the or, – or the ending of the Michigan State-UConn game. But uh, I, I think we're looking at a solid top 25, maybe even top 20 Spartans group. Yeah, I think they're a little bit better than I thought. They're not, like, special. I think it's – I will say the other thing with them is, you know, we're very we, – we often become a little bit too captivated by close game variants right early in the season, right? Like, Michigan State played two close games and then won two close games. And then they got blown out by Baylor like you kind of expected to. Um What's the narrative if Michigan State loses one or both of the Loyola and UConn games? Like, like, and and that was very much in doubt, like, both of those in, like, the final minute. You know, like, Loyola was right there to win that game. UConn, I would argue, probably should have won that game, right? Like, what's the narrative? Like, did Michigan State do something to change your mind while they were in Atlantis? significantly i don't know that they did i thought they they played i thought they fought they i thought they played okay but i didn't see anything like was significantly different from what i knew them to be before well so i had them like 30th or 31st in the preseason and i think now i think they're probably like 22nd ish so i think they did change my mind a little bit i think hall was a little better than expected i thought bingham was you know i was in on bingham but he finally looks like he's playing at playing at that high level Christie didn't have a great tournament, as as you said, but he's been a little bit better than I anticipated as well. You know, from our preseason prop bet where we each chose who we thought would lead them in scoring, I said Gabe Brown. I think you said Christie, right? Yeah, we we, we do need yeah. to discuss the fact that we our prop bet for who's going to lead Iowa in scoring is Philip Robratza versus Jordan Bohannon. I was thinking about that earlier too. Another guy who, you know, last year he was more prospect and player i mean he, he uh, uh keegan murray i mean he was great defensively 
you know, he had the indicators with the block, the steal, and the three-pointer and, and all that, but he's he's taken, you know, really taken the step offensively. The leap of all leaps, yeah. But, you know, Iowa didn't didn't play anyone before tonight, so we'll see uh, We'll see as they get into Big Ten season, maybe so, something will change, but definitely want the Robratza pick back. Do you have... Do you have thoughts on? Uh, I just want to get us back to Atlantis. You oh yeah, yeah the UConn Auburn game. I think yeah, it was the game me, of the year. Give so you far. the floor there because I wasn't watching. I think that was the game of the year so far. That that was such a fun game. So Auburn races out to this lead. I mean, their guards. You know, we were talking about the Wisconsin uh, tough, tough uh, guard defense. You know, pressure on the ball. Zeb Jasper was all over. R.J. Cole all game. I mean, they were just getting after it defensively. Katie Johnson's a dog, man. Yeah, so is Cambridge. I mean, I, I, I was really selling Auburn without Flanagan. I had them a, as a bubble team. But you were but anti Katie Johnson, though, as I recall. I was eh on Katie Johnson. I was selling both Wendell Green I, and. I did think and, it was and, very and, funny and how every reporter felt the need to tweet, "Oh, it's so obvious how great Katie Johnson was going to be," when they didn't say that all year. Like yeah. the the groundswell of Katie Johnson tweeting, oh yeah, it was inevitable that he was going to uh th- that he was going to be this good. Really, I was fine with I, Johnson. I didn't, I didn't hear it, a lot it, of Katie Johnson. Was more, yeah, go ahead. You know, I I thought Johnson would be a double figure scorer. I was I was more selling the Jasper and Green both jumping from mid major, and then Devin Cambridge being the full time three man, but. When uh, Jabari Smith can shoot and score like he does, Ooh. and then you have Jalen Williams played well as well. But um, you know, Katie Johnson had had a great game, hitting shots, getting to the rim, tough defense. I mean, it, it was a, just such a fun back and forth. Jabari Smith had a great second half. I mean, his his shot is is so smooth. He has, you know, great great ball skills, unbelievably skilled. Um, Walker Castle stunk. The, the numbers say otherwise, but he got just manhandled by Sinogo. Absolutely manhandled. Um, and he, he's just not that strong yet. He's not that strong with the ball. Uh, and then, you know, this was obviously an incredible shootout, incredible display of shot making. We mentioned uh, uh, Katie Johnson was hot. Smith was hot. Wendell Green had a ton of deep three-pointers on the UConn side. Polly was on fire. He... It, as as the game went into like double overtime too, Polly was still hitting. Jordan Hawkins had a good game until the end of overtime. He literally coughed up the ball right to Auburn, who then tied the game to send it to double overtime. But you know, Sonogo was a monster in the post. He is basically Nate Watson with a little more power, a little less touch, um, and probably probably will be a much better defender, given he's like three years younger. Um, Whaley really showed, you know, what an impact defender he is. And after playing 44 minutes against Auburn, he was really missed in that Michigan State game for, for, for UConn. I, I love prospect Andre Jackson with zero points on 0 for 1 shooting in 20 minutes. He he throws these, like, really odd passes that are, like, really cool. Like these, like, one-armed kind of, like, yes. side-arm passes. Like he, he had one cool bounce pass like that. Yeah, he he's all he's a, glue guy right now. He's a draft Twitter favorite, and I, I every time I see it, and I'm like, folks, 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 please, please, 
Very good yeah, he player. Can't, he can't let's, be let's, a, let's make it, a, a, let's prove a prospect that he can be shoots. a starter yet. Huh? He can't be a prospect until he starts shooting. That, you're right, yeah. And that's why I said out of high school, everyone was like, Andre Jackson, give me something. I was like, have you seen his jump shot? Have you seen his jump shot? No, I haven't. Okay, well, he's averaging four points a game right now. He can assist. He, he He's a snazzy player, throws some snazzy passes. But um, I think eventually I, I saw Rob Doster tweet this, but I think the path eventually is for Jordan Hawkins to start at the two and slide Tyrese Martin down to the three. But Cole played really well. Um, you know, that, that was just an all-time classic. If uh, you were there to watch it, you, you know what I'm talking about. That was an incredible game. Incredible back and forth. Pit in your stomach the whole time. And, and, and I feel the same with uh, UConn. I had them 16th in the preseason, 17th in the preseason. I feel much better about Auburn, even without Flanagan. And yeah. you know, people are saying Flanagan is going to come back in December. We'll see what's doing with there because a cook and cook still isn't right for UConn, and it's been over a year. So. No. On the other side of the bracket was Baylor. They kind of cruise-controlled past Arizona State, got a real fight from VCU. And then blew past Michigan State in the second half. They, they look really good. I think the only thing that holds them back from being truly like as elite as they were last year is that Akinjo is just not the guy. I mean, he turns it over. He's a good player, but you know, he's not Jared Butler. He's no Davion Mitchell. You know, even in this system bump, he's still an inefficient guy who turns the ball over. He doesn't finish the rim. You know, I'm, I'm very curious to see as the season goes on, they're using LJ Cryer in that, like, six-man scoring role. I'm curious to see if the ball winds up in Cryer's hands more and more and in Akinjo's a little less. I think that'll be an interesting story to monitor. And then just the other game that I really focused on um, on Friday was Syracuse and Auburn. Hmm. And Auburn just had their way with Syracuse. Wait, can, but can, can you give me some Jeremy Sohan thoughts so we have something other than intriguing international player? I mean, a lot of guys really like him. I mean, you know, coming over from from Europe, I mean, he was a really intriguing international guy coming out of high school. <laughs> he is – I've heard he's going to be a first-round pick this year. One and done. From whom? My my sources. Oh. Yeah. They have a good team. They're very athletic. They play really freaking hard, as you would expect. Um, but with uh, uh, Q's, too, I mean, I think their fans are finally souring on the idea of Cole Swider. Uh, he, he did not shoot the ball well in, in the tournament. I saw people saying, you know, how do we think Q's going to have a good team when Two two of their starters came from Jim Bainheim having sex. <laughs> that was that was very funny. Great um, tweet. Benny Williams is not where people expected, especially on, on the offensive end. But he he at least would provide some athleticism in there. Uh, with Sidibe out, you get more Frank Anselm. He's not there yet. Edwards looks good. Bayheim's Bayheim. Gerard's shooting the crap out of the ball, but we, we said if. Or, or at least I said it from the preseason. I mean, this this defense is a is a joke. It's, it's a mockery. There's no athleticism. It makes Notre Dame look like uh, look like I don't know Texas Tech out there with uh, Mark Adams. Uh, 
it's kind of crazy, but it's not going to get better for, for, for Cuse. Uh, they'll be able to blow out most of their bye games. Um, but when you get a team with a little more size or a little more skill, like a Colgate or a VCU, they're going to have a lot of trouble. Yes. Yeah. And I, I want to give credit to Mike Rhodes at VCU. I mean, their offense remains dreadful and keeps dropping. They're now 258 in offense and fourth in defense. But, man, like, those guys are so freaking bought in. It's hard not to love it. I am surprised that uh, Marcus Sahonis is coming off the bench. I thought he'd be their featured guy offensively. I did too, yeah. And, then and that, started, that, it seemed like he was starting to get it going during their trip. And then that Jimmy Nichols has basically no no role. I mean, he plays no defense, so it should be surprising. But, you know, he can really shoot it. And he, he started many games of Providence. Too many games of Providence. But. This – the. They're, they're really relying on Vince Williams offensively. But this uh, freshman, Jaden Nunn, who I think was an Iowa State commit. Yes. He is, he, he's a good player. You know, they, these guys are getting very much some trial by fire. But him and, uh, and Jalen Deloach are, are getting some minutes off the bat. We, 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 it, it feels – and Nick Kern. It feels like we have to point out anytime there's a freshman in a rotation. It's like, what, what's going on? Freshman in this economy? What? What are we doing? I will say there. I think there might be some uh, some value over at uh, over at Bovada for for Baylor forcing to win the national title. Repeat. Speaking of freshmen, the Dayton Flyers pull oh off gosh. whatever tournament they were not. East e, the ESPN Events Invitational. Which used to be called the Route 66, right? It was the Route 66, the Advocare, um, the Orlando the Invitational. Disney. It's been everything. It's been everything. But I saw somebody say that Dayton had 12 freshmen, which made me want to throw my phone out the oh, window. Oh, that was so I mean, preposterous. They have four freshmen. That, that's season. great. That's elite SID spin right there. Elite SID Absolutely. spin. They have four freshmen. And I know at least two of them are balling out, right? Malachi Smith and uh, Deron Holmes. Yes, I love Malachi Smith. He 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 is he is my type of point guard. That New York City toughness. You got to say, whenever you mention him, he, he he's a New York City point guard. Oh yeah, not just a, not just a point guard. He's a New York City point guard. He he's a very good player though. He. He he gets into the lane. He's very crafty. Uh, he's tough. He 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 he's their best guard. I know Kobe Elvis has been hurt. I still have optimism about him. It just felt like they started to kind of figure out how to play. You know, Kamara was was much more assertive than he had been in the bye games. I kind of wound up being at the expense of Amzil at the four. You know, we were we were kind of mapping out where Kamara would be the small ball five and. Instead, he's playing the four, and now Amzil is now off the bench, but obviously he, he hits the incredible shot to win the game. But yeah, they've got some pieces. Obviously, the at-large push is challenging with the three by-game losses. But, you know, with you know, as Smith gets better, as, as Kamara fits in, as Holmes improves, Holmes is very, very good right now. Kobe Bryant was hitting shots for them. He looked very impressive. This is, this is a good basketball team. You know, and again, it's you don't want to overreact because obviously it was you know, one one weekend, 
but that that team was that team was scrappy. They were really really competing, and um, you know they 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 have a couple of easy ones coming up here at home. Although I guess you would have called the other ones easy before. And they have SMU and Virginia Tech and Ole Miss in the late part of their non-conference. So SMU is very bad. Got to win that game. If you can win two out of three of SMU, Virginia Tech, and Miss Ole Miss, yeah, you might have an at-large swing in you still. Okay. So Dayton loses the three-by games. The first thing that comes to my mind is the 1920 Providence team. <laughs> Which in, in in their disastrous non-con, right? So you oh, go on. Oh, you can go, I thought you meant 1920, not 2019, 2020. Yes, 20. Yeah, 2019, 2020. <laughs> I thought you meant like 100 years ago. Like, what? Yeah, because I'm always citing things from more than like eight years Seven ago. Years on, ago yeah. yeah. Um, I couldn't okay. believe it. I was like, what the hell is he talking about? So in that non-con, now you can go on on on. Uh, T-rank, right? You can sort by date, and Providence was like 180th for the first six weeks of the season. And then after that, they were like top 10, right? But in, in those disastrous six weeks, they lost at Northwestern, who was 116. They lost home to Penn, who was 132. They lost neutral to Long Beach, who was 291. They lost neutral to College of Charleston, who was 172. I think Dayton put themselves in a bigger hole than that Providence team did. And right? they have less they have less opportunities to climb out. Absolutely, because that Big East schedule had six top 25 teams on uh, T-Rank. Providence ended up 25th, Butler was 24th. And then you had Villanova, Seton Hall, and Creighton were all like top 10 teams or top 12 teams. And then Marquette was really good with Marcus Howard as well. St. John's was solid. Um, so you had a ton of opportunities. Plus Providence had... Ended up playing Texas uh, later in that non-con as well and beating them by 22 points. So even though that Dayton gets this great win, neutral court against Kansas, the Miami win's not going to give you much. Maybe the Belmont win will give you something. But they dug like an unfathomably deep hole, and I don't think people realize it's still going to be an incredibly difficult climb. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm very skeptical of it at, at large. I mean, especially given like – this team is young. Like we're, we can't forget that they're still playing. You know, they have 12 freshmen, right, Brad? So, but no, I mean, they, they're they're such a young team that inevitably they're there's going to be like a a road trip to Duquesne and they're going to lose on like January 15th and be like, all right, see ya. Yeah. And you know, with, with this whole freshman business, I mean, they have Zimmy Noakeji as a freshman. Third year in college. Third year in college. He played 22 games last year. I mean, what I, what are we doing here? <laughs> Mr. Omzeal, the, the Omzeal. game winner, he's a freshman. He played 30 minutes a game last year in 19 games. Kobe Elvis. Kobe Elvis played a whole season on DePaul. RJ Blake in the Big East. RJ Blakeney, 20 minutes a game last year. Richard, I'm a fool. He's a transfer. They're listening to him as a freshman. Yeah. So Soko, same thing as Nuokoji. This is his third year. He's, they're listening to him as a freshman. I mean, get out of here. Do you, do you have concerns about Kansas after that Dayton game, or do you think it felt very fluky? It felt very fluky to me. Absolutely, yeah. I'm, I'm still buying Kansas, especially once they work in Jalen Wilson. 
Um, Wilson not like engaging at all is concerning. Their bench seemingly not being that good is concerning. Um, the, the, their bench should be good though. I'm I not, agree, but yeah. their bench, even if you include Dewan Harris as the bench and Jalen Wilson as a starter, their bench put up a total of 12 points, and that was five from Yesifu in a quick late first half flurry, a three from Clements, a bucket from Whitefoot, who is not very good, and a layup by Dewan Harris. Right? Like, eh, you know, like the, there's not a lot of juice from that. You know, Christian, and again, I think they're good as long as like Baji continues to look like. Buddy healed out there, but you know, Christian Brown looking like your second best player a lot of the time doesn't inspire a ton of confidence. As good as Christian Brown in terms of like being a national contender, right? Like I think Christian Brown's really good, but if he's your second best player, are you really a national title team? I don't think so. I'm not I'm not selling any of these benches, you know, with with the slow starts. I mean, we know Coleman Lands can can at least shoot it. We know yes if who can score. Pettiford is at his moments as a freshman. Lightfoot, we we know he can be the backup center. He's 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 been the backup center for like six years. I am not worried one one bit about Kansas. Uh, I think I'd still leave him at number two if if, if I were making a ranking. Wow. Yeah, I, I, I do bit. think it was for sure fluky. I, that game was such a fluke. It was like Dayton hit two threes that they probably shouldn't have made. Kansas turned it over a couple times, and the crowd got into it and was like, oops. Speaking of flukes, or games that we thought were going to be a fluke, but now we're not so sure, Iowa State comes out, punches Xavier in the mouth second half, and, you know, seems like Xavier had some Friar flu. Seems like Paul Scruggs had had the Friar flu. But uh, (laughs) then in game two, Xavier didn't have four of their top seven guys, uh, which was crazy, and they still beat – Vatek. And then Iowa State goes out and just knocks the crap out of Memphis. You had Isaiah Brockington at the 30-something points against Xavier. Then Kalsher comes out as 30-something against Memphis. You know, the, the reason why I was the, the foremost Iowa State buyer, you know, having them like 80th and like 8th in the Big 12, was because I was buying Condit and Inarunna, and I thought Brockington, Kalsher, and Hunter would all be solid. And, you know, there you go. But it has not been Condit and, and a runner. It's been their backcourt. Hunter looks much better than anticipated. Caleb Grill's playing well. They're getting good glue guy stuff from Al Aliaz Kunk. So I I always say, are they for real? What's going on with Memphis? That was a, a beatdown that they gave to Memphis. Yeah, I mean, give Iowa State a lot of credit. Um I am perhaps going to pump the brakes a little on the Iowa State thing. If only because we should not forget that this team struggled with Kennesaw, struggled with Alabama State, put up only 60 points against what appears to be a really dreadful Oregon State team. You know, let's let's be careful here. But at the same time, right, they're they're six and zero. They have now two neutral court wins over potential NCAA tournament teams. They have, you know. A schedule coming up that's manageable. You know, if they split, if they split Creighton and Iowa, they're going to go into the conference season at, I believe, ten and one. If my count's correct, let me confirm that. Yeah, ten and one. If they go in ten and one, they might they might only need 
again, if Xavier and Memphis won the tournament, they might only need seven, eight wins max in the Big Big 12 to get in the NCAA tournament. Even the NIT would be a success. Because they have an 18-game conference schedule. Yeah. So they could do 7-11, yeah. Couldn't do 7-13, but they could do 7-11. Yeah. Yep. 7-11 might not be enough because they're non-con... Again, Ots, Ots was scheduling to have a really bad team, and their non-con was Kennesaw, Alabama sure. State, Grambling, Pine Bluff, Jackson State, Southeastern Louisiana, Chicago State. I mean, those are... If you're going to play some bye games, you might as well play some teams you're going to beat. But. It's going to all... All depend on how that Xavier game and and, and the Memphis game age. I mean, Xavier's going to get Fremantle back soon. Uh, Xavier has wins over Virginia Tech and Ohio State, which should be needle movers. You know, for 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 Xavier to beat Von Tech like that without Colby Jones and without Miles and obviously Fremantle and you know, Nate Nate Johnson had an absolute scorching game. I mean, I know 30-something point outing. He had more than half Xavier's points, I think. So that was a great win for them. And then I, I watched the whole Memphis-Virginia Tech game uh, and, and most of the Xavier-Iowa Xavier, State game as well. But um, with with Memphis, man, it's just Amani Bates. He's just six. Like, but, but why 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 does he take these shots? I don't I don't understand, right? Because Penny doesn't want him taking those shots. He's not like that good where you need to appease him. He already said he's probably going to leave after this year to go to the G League anyway. He takes these crazy shots with no chance to go in. He's turning the ball over. He he can't be fun to play with. There, there's there's no way. You know, Jalen Durant's not not getting a ton of touches uh, because he's not playing with a true point guard or. You know, the the phrase true point guard is really overused, but just like he's not playing with someone who's willing to pass him the ball. Uh, It's insane. How how about this for you? Memphis has turned the ball over on 26.6% of its offensive possessions this year. There are four teams worse than them in the country. And that's that. Jacksonville University, UT Arlington, Houston Baptist, and IUPUI. The three teams better than them, just above them, McNeese, Eastern Illinois, and Alabama State. The next team on that list, Butler. It's really bad. And, 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 and look, I have said many times that I have a lot of respect for how hard Penny gets his guys to play. And I, I've said a lot of times that I believe in this group, that I believe they'd be a top 10 team, that I believe that Larry Brown and Cody Topper could get this offense going. I don't know where the buck stops. I don't know who's in charge of this offense, but the buck stops with Penny Hardaway, and this stinks. This is awful. They can't do anything in the half court. They have no flow. They turn. They, they have a bunch of dudes playing one on five. They don't. They don't, Earl Timberlake looks awful. He looks Bates awful. looks awful. Bates has nine assists and seventeen turnovers this season. How is that Why possible? Why is he playing point guard? Is it like out of all the kind of coach speak false alarms that we've seen over the years? The Theo John, Jace Johnson, front court, you know, the Marcus Bagley at the th- – or uh, Marvin Bagley at the three stuff, you know, with 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 Coach K. I mean, all these, oh, so-and-so's going to play point guard, you know, this and that. None of that stuff ever comes true. 
And then we got Memphis, who's, who's rolling out the ball for Ronnie Bates to take like these contested 20 footers. Who's next? Um, I own Alabama. Should we mention that quickly? Sure. Um, uh, did you watch this game or no? No. Okay. This is like people are gonna make this sound like I'm like a I own a basher and a Patino hater, which I am. It's not new. But look, I thought I own had a great game plan. They're the only team that seems to be able to limit. Uh, they're the only team that seems to be able to limit NATO to teams from shooting threes. And that's critical, right? Like, that's, like, a huge part of how they play and all of that, right? Like, 100%. Very valuable. That being said, I own an at-large team. Like, the people who are like, oh, yeah, I own at-large. Like, A, we've seen this already with Monmouth, like, a couple years ago. Like, it's not happening. Um, they already lo- Then they lost to Belmont. Then they lost to Kansas. Like, they're, they're not getting at-large bid. Second of all, like, you know, Alabama did not play very well in that game. They closed really poorly. And they played much better in their next two games. Like, they were in the basically same spot with Drake the next day, and they, they closed a thousand percent better. Uh, just did a fantastic job uh, in finishing that game. And I think Darius Miles looks really good. Looks like Herb Jones out there physically. Obviously, he's not quite the passer, but looks really good. They're still figuring out how to use Davis. He's not a very good shooter, but he's so athletic and explosive. I mean, he's one of those explosive guards I've ever watched. I give Iowa a lot of credit. I think their freshman guard, Walter Clayton, is going to wind up being an outstanding player for them. But, you know, and, and Nellie Joseph, we should also say. I mean, Nellie Joseph is incredible. I mean, he is – he looks like he could play in the NBA. He's 6'9", he can switch, he can block shots, he's athletic, like he can handle the ball a little bit. He had like a Eurostep layup. It's unbelievable. Um, I mean, yeah, so I, I like – I like I like this group. I think they're a top seventy-five team. I just don't buy the like at-large love. You know, like they're just not that good. They, the one thing I will say with them that's interesting is neither Joiner or Jolly look like like shot creators. Like they're great defenders, but neither of them are like like that. Like so many mid-majors thrive when they have that like point guard who's just kind of undersized and shifty. They don't have that guy, and it's a real adjustment. Um, that they they're almost missing. I thought Ryan Myers would be that guy. He's not. I will also say the other thing that's weird about them. Quinn Slazinski. I don't know if you watched any Iona. He's like a wing now. He's like a three man. He's chucking threes. He looks good. I mean, his shot looks good. He shot a poorly against Bama, but he had a good weekend. I think both with Iona and now with Drake. I mean, they could get an large, but their margin for error is like unfathomably thin. Like you can't feel comfortable like taking on a loss the whole season, but you know at least Iona has the Alabama window to uh, fall back on. But right, the Bam, you you would think theoretically that the the Bama win is going to look very very good, and it's also one of those wins I think that like like because it's a brand name win, it's Patino, like it will it will it will resonate, but like. Iona's path to an at-large has to include beating Seton Hall, right? It almost has to because, again, credit to them for winning against App State and Harvard and Hofstra and Liberty to start the year. 
none of those games are going to move the needle, especially because three of them were neutral, were home and one was a neutral. Like none of those games are going to be even Q2. So where are your wins, right? All they have left in the non-con is Seton Hall, Delaware, and Yale. And all of those are neutral court games. So Q, probably not Q2 Yale, probably not Q2 Delaware. And then Seton Hall is a Q1, but like you're going to play your rest of your season with, you're going to come away at best with a one and one Q1 record or one, a one and two Q2 record. If you don't be Seton Hall, no Q2 wins and a bunch of Q3 and Q4s. And if you lose any, which again, they're going to because they went to overtime with Harvard and, you know, barely beat Hofstra, barely beat Liberty. Like they're going to lose games. Like it's inevitable. They're going to, you know, the Max looked much better lately. You know, they're still only favored. They're favored by, they're favored in all but one Mac game, but they're favored by three points against Fairfield, one point against St. Peter's, one, uh, you know, they're favored by four points against Quinnipiac and two points against Niagara and, you know, five points against Ryder. Like they're not going to win all these games. So they have, they're not an at-large team. They're good, you know, Pacino credit, and they're going to continue to recruit and continue to be challenging to beat, but not going to be an easy thing to beat. Who else do we have? I'm trying to I think of think all these things. we're missing. I mean, inevitably there is, but. Uh, LSU played in like the sneakiest MTE in the world, where like a bunch of people for Rush the Court Eliminator picked like Wake Forest in Missouri, I think, not realizing that they were in an MTE. Idiots. So that was weird. Um, LSU beats Wake Forest. Wake Forest is getting like sneaky high in the metrics. I don't know if. They're for real or not. We'll see when they play Northwestern in the Big Ten ACC. Alonda Williams. Bucket game. I've seen a lot of Jake LaRavia buzz preseason, too. He's been good. I, I, I will say we are getting more and more proof that Carter Witt is quite bad. I watched him play in high school. How about his 40% turnover rate so far this season? I didn't think he was bad, but he was certainly wild. He was very wild in the high school game I watched. I the challenging thing with, with this, right, is, okay, you did a good job. You, you recruited you know, enough guys where, okay, maybe Wake Forest is an NIT team, right? Like, they played – they beat Oregon State. They've won their bye games. You know, maybe, maybe they're an NIT team, right? Well, great, but Alondis Williams is a COVID-year senior. Davian Williamson's a senior. Isaiah Mucius is a senior. Dallas Walton's a COVID-year senior. LaRavia's a junior. Like, it's not something to build off of. So, again, I mean, obviously, Forbes has done a great job in his career, and I believe in him. But, like, this isn't like, oh, wow, look at this young core that's coming together. Like, it's like, okay, we've put together a team. It's better. Now we got to build on it every year. And that's hard at a place like Wake that's not, not the easiest place in the AC to recruit to, that's, you know, doesn't have, you know, it's a smaller school and doesn't have the history that some of the other programs do in the league. Like, if Forbes like, gets this thing back, it's going to be impressive. But w- 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 with where the transfer portal is, it's too risky to just bottom out with a young team and hope hope it grows. Oh, one, I, don't dis- I don't disagree. I don't disagree. I'm just saying, like, there isn't, like, a – it'd be one thing if even if they, these were transfers, you're, like, sophomores and juniors, right? Like, you're entering a two-year window. Like, this is the one-year window for this group, you know? Right, but you have to make – in, in a rebuild, you have to make now every year be as best as it possibly can to attract more transfers, right? right. Because Wake is going to get a significantly better transfer making the NIT than finishing 
in 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 the pit spot in, and, in Boston and, College spot and selling. Oh, you know, we just brought in Alondis Williams after averaging six points a game in Oklahoma, and he's now right. averaging twenty a night. Come, you know, come play for us if you were the role player for, you know, Duke is in the portal. You right. come to us and you'll, you know, you'll average twenty a game and you'll be really good. Yeah, right. you're you're calling up Anton Watson being like, you know, you can average twenty and ten here. Come on down. I think Forbes is a tremendous coach. I, I also give credit to LSU, you know, for them to be undefeated 7-0 again. And their schedule has not been like all cupcakes. It's been a lot of bye games, but they beat Texas State, who won the league last year by 25. They beat Liberty comfortably. They beat Belmont, who's obviously an outstanding mid-major, by 30. They beat Wake Forest and Penn State this weekend. Their offense has been really good, but their defense has completely changed. I mean, that's been a problem the whole era for Will Wade. And it seems like early on, at least, you know, it seems like they're forcing turnovers. And it seems like Tari Eason and Eric Gaines have kind of changed their defense because they're both kind of more defensive minded guys. And that's huge. I mean, when you already have a Xavier Pence and you already have a Darius Dage, you have the freshman shot blocker and Efton Reed. And then they've got these just a younger group, right? Alex Fudge and Brandon Murray on the wings and Mawani Wilkinson. And this is not like an old elite talent LSU team, but this looks like a really good LSU team so far. Absolutely. And, you know, last year, maybe some of those defensive issues came, or or, or, or the past couple of years, came with playing like that big lineup with Trenton Watford as a three. You know, so you had, you had Watford, or that wasn't last year, then that, that was the year before, I must be thinking of. Where they had trying to pull up the sports reference. Yeah, where they had Watford, Days, and Emmett Williams playing together, starting. That that can't be great for your defense. But then last year, I guess having the Days Watford front court was too small in the other direction, and now they're just right with Eason and Reed playing center. Yeah, no, they they got a good group. I, I give them a lot of credit. I think. You know, it's it's almost a more balanced group than what they've had in the past with with not a ton of depth and no Adam Miller and no uh, Justice Williams redshirting, but they're going to be a dangerous team. This SEC race is going to be so much fun, right? When you think about it with Florida, who's looked great, Kentucky, Bama, LSU, Tennessee, Auburn, Arkansas, Mississippi State. I mean, that's a great top eight in this league. A lot of these teams haven't, Tested themselves yet, but you know it's coming. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. I, Fort I mean, Myers was a great event, buzzer beater for Florida to beat Ohio State in championship game. Tyree Appleby. And, and then a buzzer beater for Ohio State to beat Seton Hall in the first round. Great event. Great event. Love the love that event. That's become one of the best ones of of the turn of the early tournaments every year. I love it. I also love it because it's in it's in like a smaller gym. So it gets not, it gets it, it's a good atmosphere. You know, I loved Maui. I thought you know, the folks that put that event on do a tremendous job. It was really well done, but it was, I mean, it was just cavernous. I mean, the rain is twelve thousand people. Wisconsin brings a thousand fans. You know, what are we doing with the other eleven thousand? I think these smaller gyms can wind up being really cool atmosphere for college basketball. So kind of like hey, Lahaina. And just one thing on. Uh, on the SEC, too, I was thinking that they were going to be the best conference in college basketball coming into the year. 
And then after Adam Miller gets hurt, Flanagan gets hurt, you know, seemingly one after another, guys are dropping like flies. Um, kind of went went back to the Big 12. But it looks like the Big 10 has has a rebounded nicely after a rough first week. But, you know. Wisconsin and uh, Wisconsin and Michigan State here to save the day. Even even that first week, though, I mean, it was very situational, right? Like, Wisconsin didn't have their best player against Providence. Illinois didn't have their best player against Marquette. Okay, Nebraska loses. Who cares? I mean, Seton Hall's buzzsaw, you know, with uh, Miles Kales. Michigan ran into the buzzsaw. Um, Wednesday, we had a, a close Johnny's-Indiana game. Indiana wins. Uh, Butler stinks. No one cares about that. And then, you know, Xavier's a good team. Ohio State's not bad. I mean, that was that was pretty evenly matched. And then, um, you know, Rutgers stinks. But what are you going to do? League is not as bad as people. You know, people were, like, jumping off the bridge, jumping off the bandwagon. It, it, it was insane. It was, like, it, it was like people of every game, people forget that they've watched basketball before. That that's that's the feeling I'm getting on, on Twitter every day. Yeah. Do you uh, feel the same that you, the, you're the reactions? Like, the reactions are just unbelievable. It's it's whiplash inducing. It's like yeah, it, it's literally first like half. Virginia may never win a game again. Game before. First half, Virginia may never win a game again. Second half, Virginia's back. And then the, you know there's. There's one MTE that not only did we forgot to mention, I completely forgot to watch. I was planning on being able to watch the first half of Louisville, Maryland on Saturday morning at 10 o'clock in the morning. I completely forgot. Um, and did, didn't realize it until I sat at my seat at the dunk, pulled out my phone, and saw the game was almost over. Uh, but, you know, that was a cool MTE, you know, cool, cool field, right, with potentially four NCAA tournament teams. you got Richmond goes 0-2. Mississippi State gets that overtime winning against Richmond, and then uh, Louisville edges out Maryland in the championship. Yeah, no, bad for Richmond. Yeah, they just missed opportunities. I mean, I don't think they're a bad team. I don't think they've done anything to prove like, predictions wrong of them being like back in top 50, early 50, 60s, right? Like, they're just not winning these games, and you need to, especially with the A10 not, not making the headway. Maryland. I mean, I don't understand this Maryland team. Like, they're, they're a disaster in so many ways right now. Like, Scott and Ayala look like they've regressed. Wahab, who's now, apparently now Kudus Wahab, not Cutis. He's changed his pronunciation. Or or he's corrected us finally. We were all wrong. But Kudus Wahab and uh, Julian Reese have been, like, this weird front court center pairing. And... Reese is the more like athletic mobile one. But if you watch the end of that game, I mean, Reese was, they just put Reese in the ball screen every time uh, Louisville did. And he couldn't guard him. He was in the wrong spot every time. They've got some work to do there to figure out how they're going to guard, guard some like simple actions, how to get Fats, Ayala, that dynamic working, how to get Scott and Wahab's dynamic working. They look like a team that just doesn't have a lot of answers right now. And, you know, because it was last, you know, the week was so long, we completely forgot to mention the MTE that both our teams were in. Oh, yes. I didn't even realize that that was still this week. But Providence 
knocked the crap out of Northwestern because Chris Collins played the goofiest zone I've ever seen. It was so Swiss cheese. It was so disgusting. They played a 3-2 zone. The reason why you don't ever see a 3-2 zone is because people put four guys on the perimeter. They have three guys to guard four. When you play a 2-3, the two guys in the wings flank up to the, the wings, and you have four guys guarding four. So Providence, who really struggles to go by people. That's very evident in the Wisconsin game, the Virginia game, and the St. Peter's game. Their, their, their guards have a lot of trouble getting by good physical defenders. Uh, Northwestern decided we're going to do three on four, and Providence goes whip it around and knock down some threes. Bryson Godin had like five threes. Horkler had threes. Everyone was was getting in on the action. And then Virginia just knocked the crap out of Providence. And like I said, when your offense doesn't have a lot of ball movement, has a lot of player movement, and your guards can't really go by people as well as the offense necessitates, you're really stuck in the mud. Yeah, I mean, I didn't watch a lot of the Northwestern Providence game, but what a, what a disaster. I mean, you mentioned you joked about the zone, but the lineups were really bad, right? The way you beat Providence with Nate Watson on the floor is that you put a big man who can create in space and kind of screw you up. With, and Nance did with, that. Huh? And, yeah, but they should. Pete Nance I turn that. on the game and Pete Nance is playing the floor. What are we doing? And then he's got Linus with Ryan Greer at the two. What are we doing here, fellas? The Linus are very funky. But yeah, Providence is having this problem, especially Alan Breed now, where they're like, okay, we, we got to be aggressive. So we're catching the ball on the wing, stationary, with our, with our defender in front of us, the whole help defense set up, and we're trying to do th- three dribbles to get by the guy. I mean, you're never going to go by someone at this level just sizing them up on a one-on-one ISO with all the help defense up there. You need a, a, a ball screen. You need a ball reversal. You need a kick out off an offensive rebound. You need something. Uh, we're not going by someone just standing there stationary. And that, that was very evident in the St. Peter's game on Saturday where St. You know, we were doing this ridiculous stuff to keep them in the game. And then we just switched to a junk zone of our own. St. Peter's missed all their threes and, we were off and running. But that's 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 gonna be a big problem on Wednesday against Texas Tech. I mean, Alan Breed and well, well, Bynum got hurt, but you know, him and Durham and Goodine, they they aren't gonna beat Terrence Shannon and Myleek Wilson off the dribble. Not gonna happen. No, certainly not. That's gonna be a heck of a game. Big test for for Texas Tech. Still learning about them. Love this front court with Bryson Williams and Kevin O'Banner. Great group. Uh, excited about that one. Any other games you're looking forward to this week other than AC Big Ten? Well, you have Providence, Texas Tech. You have Duke, Ohio State tomorrow. You have Kansas St. John's on Friday. I mean, St. John's is going to win that game, right? They they have not given two craps about their non-conference kind of gimme games after the Indiana game. Aaron Wheeler's like not even playing anymore. He's down to like five minutes a game, which is surprising. But you just know that they're going to show up for that game. They're going to be pressuring Kansas full court. And 
Champagne's going to have 35 points, and they're going to get that home win. Yes. Absolutely. I would like to close this podcast by reading out a fantastic Dickie V tweet. Got to, got to see Dickie V from a distance in Vegas. Uh, that was very exciting. Glad to see him back on the sidelines um, at games. It's not the same without him. Uh, he was, of course, on the call for the Dayton-Kansas game and just kind of yelling in the background as the Amstel shot went in. He just tweeted, just got my report that my medical team are very pleased with the report of the PET scan. They claim that the chemotherapy has thus far been successful. I believe your prayers have helped. Now with the news that Coach Brian Kelly is headed to LSU. That's a football news, Brad. So you're a football guy. I now need a good cardiologist. The guys, yeah, grab your nitroglycerin pills, a wise philosopher pills. once said. Oh, yeah. The, uh, the college football carousel is making college basketball's coaching carousel look very tame. Maybe that's a maybe that's a sign of things to come this uh this coming off season. So we'll keep an eye out for that. Appreciate you all uh, listening through this episode. Long episode, had a lot to get to, as always. And uh, we will see you all next week with ACC Big Ten takes. So thanks for listening, everybody.